0: All right, I'm so excited to see all of you. And if you haven't already put your name down there or checked in, please do. We are going to be doing that little drawing at the end for everybody that's been here for the different books. But um, as we, you know, let some stragglers come in, I just wanted to. I want to go back to the woman at the well. Last week we talked about the woman at the well, um, and we talked about the fact that Jesus saw her and saw her deepest need, what she needed, that living water. And let's go to that end part of the story, which I or the biblical account, which is so exciting, which is she runs back she runs back and she goes and she tells absolutely everybody and there's there were a lot of barriers in her way to be able to share with everybody and we can I mean you can just kind of picture it and see her just sharing everything about what had just happened Um, and I love that part and that's kind of another part that I really really love about it is that that living water that was offered that was something that met every need for her right And the people that we, the people that are hurting, that we're trying to walk alongside, that we're trying to minister and serve to, they are searching for different ways. You know, we know it as looking for ways to heal that brokenness. They are trying to find ways to. To break out of that what they're stuck in you know whether it be maybe it is they want this big family they want to feel loved so they keep having children to feel loved maybe it is that they're spending money that they shouldn't be spending or they're looking for um, friendship and friends and approval and worth and all kinds of different things they all have their things but we all know that the only thing that's going to heal all of that brokenness is that living water that we that we learn about at the Women at the Women at the well and so tonight where I'm really excited about this is we are going to get a sneak peek to kind of understand some of those behaviors because those behaviors, we don't necessarily know how to interpret some of the behaviors that we see from individuals that have come from generations and generations and generations of poverty. But we have a lot of that in our city and the places in, that we would be ministering to. So this there's so much here and we are so excited to have you here with us, Ross, but we're going to dive into that um, and get started. Thank you.
1: Hey, well I'm excited um, to see everyone. Uh, If you see me like moving my mouse, I'm using a different platform and so I'm trying to make sure that my computer doesn't go to sleep. Uh, But I'm excited to be here tonight. I wanna give just a a couple of little uh, caveats to what I'm gonna be talking about. I am not an expert on this topic of understanding a poverty worldview. Uh, I am not a person who came from generational poverty. Uh, I, in my position here at the church as a local missions pastor, I get the opportunity to kind of sit in the middle of our church and the city and play the middleman a lot of times. And I love that seat because I get to understand the perspective of our church and our church members and our leadership. And I also get to hear the perspective of our of our partners in the community and see how the gospel can go to our community. And so that is my, my first caveat here. Uh, the other one that I would like to say is I also don't know the background of everyone in this room. There may be someone uh, in here who has come from generational poverty, uh, and you may have a different perspective or a different understanding uh, even than what I can bring. So please know that that is heard, that is recognized. Um, and uh, tonight, uh, just to go on ahead and give a lot of credit to the resources that I pulled from. Um, This book right here, uh, a framework for understanding poverty, it is by uh, Ruby Payne. Uh, It is uh, more of a scholarly book, um, but it has been very helpful for us as a missions office and as our local missions team in helping understand a poverty worldview. There is also uh, a website, but it's ran by an organization called the Chalmers Center. If you've ever heard of the book, When Helping Hurts, um, they have written that book they have also been a great perspective as well they are very they're faith-based uh, and have helped inform not only within uh, national U.S poverty alleviation but also global poverty alleviation so we have pulled from from those two resources predominantly uh, and then if I've pulled from any other resources I'll let you know as I get to that um, tonight, there's a lot of content that we're going to try to go through. There's a lot that we could cover within this topic, um, but let me kind of give you a little bit of the roadmap of where we're going to go to. So first, we're going to briefly, briefly establish a biblical basis for ministering to the poor. I think that's very important as believers that we go first to the Bible, the Word of God, for our basis for the ministry that we do and even loving our neighbor as ourselves. So briefly on that. We're going to define poverty uh, and the different causes of it. We're also going to say why we need to understand uh, the poverty worldview. And then also we're going to go briefly into a way forward of ministering to people and walking alongside people within uh, who come from generational poverty. So the first thing that we're going to talk through is a biblical basis for uh poverty, ministering to those in poverty. So I've got these verses up here and I'll just briefly walk through. I'm not going to read them, uh, but I'll kind of give you the, the gist of what they're about. So whenever we look at the Old Testament and we think about the grand narrative at the the very beginning of creation, God created the world. He set aside Abraham and his lineage to be the, the descendants of God's promise. And then we see in Leviticus after the, the nation of Israel has left Uh, the bondage of Egypt, the Lord is establishing them as a nation and he is giving them his holy law to abide by uh, as his nation. And in Leviticus uh, chapter 19 verses 9 through 10, this is where the Lord is giving commandments to his people about what they are to do at harvest times. And after they have harvested from their fields, the Lord commands his people to leave The leftovers, basically after they had harvested all the produce, any that had been left aside, which naturally will happen as you're harvesting, they were not to go back and gather it up, but they were supposed to leave it there for the poor and for the sojourner as they were traveling through to be able to take and to eat and to have food and sustenance. So at the very beginning of the nation of Israel, God shows his heart for those without uh, all the resources that they need to be able to provide for their food and sustenance. In Proverbs uh, 14, verse 31, it says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So right there, we have a straightforward that God has a heart for and desires for his children to love the poor. Then in Isaiah chapter, uh, I believe it may be I may have the wrong reference there, but three fourteen through 15, it's the wrong reference. I apologize. Um, the Lord is actually casting judgment on the rich who have plundered the poor. And that is the judgment that he was sending on his people of Israel. So we see that God sees the plight of the poor, but also will execute judgment on behalf of the poor. In the New Testament, we see all throughout Jesus' uh, uh, walk on the earth that he cared for people's immediate needs. But in James 1, uh, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 27, that is that religion that is pure and undefiled cares for the widow and for the orphan. Those two uh, people groups there are people that dist- display those who are in need and those who are in poverty as well. And then in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, this is a parable of the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says at the the very end time that he will separate the sheep, which are the, the true believers from the goats, who are those who look like they are followers of Christ, but did not follow Christ. And he will say to them, when uh, He will look at the deeds of the sheep and say, when, you, when I was hungry, you fed me. When you saw that I had no clothes, you clothed me. So as believers who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are commanded by him to care for the poor. It is very easy to see throughout scripture that God has a soft spot in his heart for those who are poor. And so as believers, as we are, are ministering to our neighbors and loving our neighbors well, uh, we have to understand that our love for those who are who are in poverty is also a, refre- a reflection of the character of God who loves his those who are made in His image that are also in poverty. Uh, one of our main verses that we are actually highlighting on uh, for our love offering season this year is Psalm 82, verses three through four. It says, "Defend." the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And so as we think about even what this class is for, hear those words and take them to heart and take them as a command from the Lord for yourself. Now, what's cool is I can look in this room and I know the vast majority of you all and I know your heart for people and your love for people. So I wanted to get through the biblical basis maybe just a little bit quickly, and and there are way more nuances and backings for that, but you're in this class for a reason, because you have a desire to love those who find themselves in crisis situations. So let's just go into the definition of poverty for a second. So very simply, very simply, poverty is a lack of resources poverty is a lack of resources. And we'll quick we'll go on right into that list that we have there. Most of the time we believe and only think about poverty is the lack of financial resources. So the lack of having money to purchase goods and services. When someone looks at their bank account and they have $3 and that's the only thing they have, they are poor in financial resources. That is is very blatant, straightforward, that's the way that it goes. But what I would argue and what we're going to see here is that is not the only way to view poverty. Because if we only view poverty as a lack of financial resources, when you're ministering to a mom who's found themselves in a crisis situation and you start to get into some of the the complexities, you realize, oh, it's more than just the dollar amount that's at play here. But so many times, and even within our culture and within the dialogue that we have, That's the only thing that we focus on. And so what else can a person be in poverty for? Well, emotional poverty, the ability to choose and to control emotional responses. Some individuals, whether by all the different causes that we're gonna talk about in just a little bit, do not have the resources or the, the, um, the ability to be able to respond appropriately or effectively in stressful situations And if you're working with someone who finds himself in a crisis situation and there's an outburst or there's something that is like maybe a little bit offsetting, well, it may be because they're lacking in the resources for emotional responses. The next one is mental slash cognitive poverty. So the mental abilities and the acquired skills. So when we think about our education and we think about somebody who has the inability to read they have a poverty, a lack of resource of the ability to understand and to grasp even some of the the basic things that are within our society of reading looking at a menu or being able to read instructions or being able to understand and comprehend what even larger words mean. And that is contributed by a lot of factors. Remember that we're talking about a definition of poverty. So whenever we run into that, we need to know that as we're working with someone that finds themselves in a crisis situation, that their ability to comprehend or uh, understand may be at play there as well. Next, we also have Spiritual poverty, understanding God's desires for the individual's life. There are people, and all of us can attest to our spiritual poverty, where at one point within our life, we did not understand God's desire for our life, for us to worship him, for us to follow his son, Jesus. And that is the case for every single human being on the face of this earth until they have found Jesus, they turn from their sins, and accept him as their Lord and Savior. And that is definitely a, another form of poverty that is at play as we're, we're talking with people. Next, we have physical poverty. So not having the ability of mobility or physical health. So let me give this as an example. Um, so a person, and kind of how these all interweave together. So say a person is, is lower in financial resources, so they are financially impoverished. Well, when they look at their pantry, they have a set amount of food. Well, they're probably going to ration that food a little bit more. Well, over time, that impacts their physical body's responses, which leads to underlying disease and leads to future longer-term health problems, which leads to so many other things, which later on requires more Healthcare care bills requires more uh, inability to work or to transport themselves or to move around. And so then all of a sudden they find themselves in a spot where they physically cannot take care of themselves. In certain parts of our city, there are things called food deserts, where in our city there is not an easy access to fresh food nearby, which then means that a person who is hungry will either have to go to a gas station and get gas station food, which is not the best. We all know, we've all been there uh, when we've been hungry on a, uh, on a road trip and all of a sudden we're in desperate mode and that hot dog all of a sudden looks really good, but we don't know where that hot dog came from. Well, think about that. There are parts of our city where that's the only option, or McDonald's is the only option. Well, you think about that as a child, where that is the only option place for ready and available food. Long-term, that will have negative physical impacts on their body that will later negatively impact their body when they're trying to work, when they're trying to plan uh, for their lives. So that's uh, just how a lot of these things begin to build on one another. Another one is support systems. Friends, families, and backup resources in times of needs. When I first moved, moved to Memphis, I knew no one. Uh, I came here as an intern uh, six years ago, uh, and I never, I don't even know if I saw, Ben is my boss, many of you guys know Ben. Um, I don't even know if I saw Ben's face uh, before that. Maybe I did, I had a FaceTime interview, but I didn't know what he looked like, really. And so when I first moved here, I knew no one. And, and so I knew that if something happened to me, I would probably have to call my parents that were about three and a half hours away at least on that initial kind of time. Over time, the church has just uh, become my family here, and I know people who I can call on if there is a time of need or of struggle. There are people within our communities that don't have that. You don't know how I know that? Because I get calls week in and week out of people who are saying, hey, can you help me mow my grass? Because I don't have anyone who I can call on to mow my grass. Or hey, I need help with a light bill because I don't have anyone who can can help me out uh, in this. Or even my friends or my family, they can't help me out in this. And so when you think about some of the mothers that have found themselves in a crisis pregnancy situation, oftentimes they do not have the support system that is needed there. But then also what's next is relationships and role models, access to individuals who are appropriate and nurturing in the relationship to them. If you don't have someone who truly cares for you, if you don't have someone who isn't coming for you in a manipulative way, like that is a, an impoverished way to live because you don't know who to turn to. You don't know how you can turn to. No one's ever shown you the way to go. And so that is where we as believers in Christ have to step up and to, to love our neighbor and to help our neighbor who is in need. Also, knowledge of hidden rules, knowing unspoken cues and habits. So in a little bit, I'm going to give you guys a chart that will help kind of reveal a little bit of maybe some of the hidden rules between those who have grown up in generational poverty, those who have grown up in in middle class families, or those who have grown up in wealthy families, and how there are different ways that you interact within different um, socioeconomic groups. Um, there are ways that, that I don't know how to act in certain, certain parts of our city because it's, it's generational poverty and they're even talking a different language than what I know. One of the, the, the important ways that I, I realized this is whenever I moved to Memphis, all of a sudden, especially within our urban settings, people talked about where they stayed, not where they lived, okay? And that is because where people stay, if you're in a transient like lifestyle of needing to move, needing to change apartments, needing to do all that. It, you're not living, you're just staying there and you're probably going to move eventually. And that is a common vernacular within the majority of our city, where, where I'm from and a lot of the the circles that I'm in. Hey, where do you live? That's because you have an idea of stability. You have an understanding of this is where I'm going to to live. Well, that language, that communication, all of that tends to find itself within the different um, uh, hidden rules that nobody really uh, knows, but it's a player in the background. And next is language and formal register. Ability to use vocabulary and sentence structure in work and school. If you've never been taught professionalism, you're not gonna know how to be professional. If you don't know how to communicate your feelings, then what is a way to communicate your feelings? feelings, by emotional responses, by physical responses. If you don't have the vocabulary to be able to to truly express yourself or to be able to to uh, function in a professional setting, you're most likely not going to have that skill set to continue on. And that can be a form of poverty as well. Yes? Yes. Yes. the Yes. All of them. Uh, specifically, I would talk about uh, spiritually poor at first. Um, and that's where I would say, because I believe whenever we all recognize our spiritual poverty, then that's whenever we, we turn uh, to Him. But I, when we think about the person, the, the Lord loves every single part of us, the body, soul, and spirit. So I believe that, that he was talking about the whole person, but I think predominantly in that passage, there's a, there's a leaning towards the interpretation of spiritual, spiritual poverty. Uh, but yes, it's a good question. Um, going through all of these different forms of poverty, what I hope that you, we understand is that all of us at some point have probably found ourselves in an impoverished state. The lack of resources. The lack of a support system, the lack of relationships or role models, the lack of an understanding of the hidden rules, or the lack of financial resources as well. And so when we're ministering to those who, yes, sir? Just a common expression by you said, for us that are immigrants here, mm-hmm. doesn't it the
0: knowledge of hidden rules as
1: Absolutely. more than mean right now work with the past of the uh immigrants from Central America, then they're
0: all only speaking English but not even Spanish. I mean they So I mean so they're that property for them, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: In every person, there's a, a different variation and a different nuance with that uh, as well. Um, I, I've met with with immigrants where in, in their uh, home country, they were very wealthy. They were accomplished lawyers, engineers, and then coming to the U.S. because of that language barrier, because of the lack of the understanding of the, the culture, um, they are now in a place of where you're making it from paycheck to paycheck. But that I think that also leads us to to kind of our our next slide here of situational uh, poverty versus generational poverty. So situational poverty is an immediate loss of resources due to a tragedy. So you think of someone whose home has just burned down and everything was burned up with it. Well, that is a situation that happened where all of a sudden they now have lost the resource of a home. Uh, and everything that was in it. Typically what is found is if there's a person who was in uh, maybe in the middle class but then find themselves into in a situational poverty scenario, it is much easier for them to to jump back into a middle class uh, way of living with those resources than someone who is in generational poverty can bounce back. So generational poverty is when two family generations have been in poverty. And what happens is after those two generations, those hidden rules become natural within a person to where it's not an in-between of middle class and, and poverty. It is just an assumed worldview that is seen there. So that's whenever we talking about situational poverty versus generational poverty. Let's talk about some of the causes of poverty. Now, these are, are going to be a little bit different than probably what we thought about, and a lot of these are going to be pulled from the Chalmers Center, and we can't pinpoint just one to say, oh, this is why there's poverty in the world, or this is why somebody's staying in poverty. We can't, we can't do that. It's a mixture of all of them. So the first one we're going to talk about is wrong stories. So within our immediate culture here, whenever our immediate understanding, we often talk about the American dream of how someone worked hard, they were able to make a lot of money, and they were able to now have this incredible mansion or this incredible home with all these resources and everything like that. That is an incredible testimony of even, I know, many that are within our church. But whenever we look at the gospel, when we look at stories of success, what I would say to us is that our success uh, or our story of success should not be um, materialism. It should be obedience to Christ, even if they're in the midst of material poverty. Because if we're only focusing on people who have a lot of money or that have a lot of materials as the idea of success then that is why we have so many people who are in poverty playing the lottery every week. Because they think that the only way that they can get out of their situation is by paying $2 for that mega millions that is now at $1 billion, and that all of a sudden that will change everything for them. That's why so many people place their hope in the lottery rather than the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then also for those that have maybe come out of of poverty into a place where they have more resources. Um, It's kind of like a do what I did, you know, kind of thing. And whenever in each person, there's a different nuance, there's a different set of complexities that we have to consider of their next faithful step of, of obedience to the Lord. And so whenever we're ministering to someone who finds themselves in poverty, what I would encourage us to do is focus on the right stories and not on the wrong stories. That way, whenever there is a setback of, man, they just spent all their money for some reason, well, okay, well, what's their next faithful step of obedience here? And for those who have, um, who grow up in generational poverty, where maybe the only form of success that they've ever heard that is the way to get to is by having a lot of money or going to the NBA and being a, you know, an NBA player, like, Maybe we're setting people up for failure of truly understanding what success is. So let's focus on, on the, the right stories. The next thing that I would talk about is destructive formative practices. This is where a lot of times people focus into. So this is where we see the, why did you just blow your paycheck again? You just got it. Or why did you not talk to your, your, uh, your property manager to try to get maybe a little bit of an extension on your, your rent being due? Or why didn't you do this? Those are at play here, destructive formative practices. Our beliefs inform our habits, but then also our habits inform our beliefs as well. So for example, I don't like to work out. So this is just a testimony from other people that I've heard. Most of the time, people don't like to work out whenever they first start. But eventually, if they keep on doing it and doing it and doing it, sometimes people begin to really love working out. I don't know. It's not a tested uh, theory on myself. But uh, Ashley could probably uh, testify to it. Um, there, uh, I I had one professor one time that swore he hated running, hated running, but he knew that it was best for his body, so he forced himself to go run every day, every day, and then eventually, all of a sudden, he became a a lover of running. Well, that's kind of the 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 play at here of there are sometimes there are beliefs that inform our habits, so where this is why we we respond because we have underlying beliefs. But eventually, we also have to start doing habits that are contrary to those beliefs to be able to change those from destructive to constructive formative practices. So that can be another cause of poverty that is there, that individuals who find themselves in either uh, material poverty or other forms of poverty um, have destructive formative practices. Next, we have individual brokenness as well. Individual brokenness. We have... When we think about the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter three, we need to know that in that moment, the image of God, we are, every person is made in the image of God, but we all became more broken than we could ever understand. To where we are spiritually broken, we are completely spiritually broken and need someone to help us. We are also physically broken, which is why we have all the diseases, all the ailments, all the pains, all the hurts. And then we are also emotionally broken as well, where we have at times get angrier. There are times that we get stressed where all of that is a result of brokenness that comes from the fall. And so we can't neglect to acknowledge this. There's one thing that I do need to address, and I see this all the time as a local missions pastor. Being materially poor is not an indicator of whether or not someone is a believer or not. OK, so material poverty is not a sign of morality of this person is sinful because they're poor. And we have to change our mindset towards that because we're coming in with a major bad assumption if we come in at that point, uh, because there our own savior had no place to lay his head. Paul, the the apostle, went from place to place laying on other people's beds, crashing on someone's couch to share the gospel. Now, it's complete. I don't want to like totally bring that analogy in, but what I want us to, to kind of separate ourselves is material wealth does not equal morality, okay? So we have to remember that. There are broken systems within our world as well. This is where a lot of people begin to disagree and begin to kind of take up arms a little bit on, no, there's not a system. Yes, there are a system. And I would say, yes, there are broken systems in this world that keep people in poverty because we are in a fallen world. Absolutely. And the enemy loves to keep the materially poor, poor because it, keeps the barriers up in front of them. So I definitely believe that there is broken systems. And in fact, I've got an example of this. So within our city, this area here, that's a, a picture down there at the bottom is Summer Avenue. And then uh, over by Douglas High School to the left is Hollywood uh, Street. And then above that is, is the 40 window. And so this is kind of the Berkler, the Berkeley Highland Heights, a little bit uh, farther east than Highland Heights, Nubbush Community. And right there, those four pins are whenever you search banks in that community, those are four banks that have shown up, and two of those four are ATMs. Okay? But when we go to the next one, these are all the payday loan uh, options that are within that same community. Four banks, two of them ATMs. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Payday loan, uh, like so, shark loan uh, businesses there that will charge incredible interest rates. Um, but that is one of our more poorer areas within our city, and I'm not. I don't want to place blame on anyone for creating that system at all. But it's something that we have to acknowledge that someone who lives up off of Chelsea Avenue, that if they don't have a car and they need to get to a bank, they either got to take a bus or they got to catch a ride with someone and they got to figure it out and make sure it's during business hours. They got to figure out all of that. Or they could go maybe a, a street or two over and go get uh, a payday loan to, to take care of their rent for that day. And then all of a sudden, they've I've got a way bigger bill than what they had before. So when we're ministering to those who are in poverty, those are some of the options that, that we've got. You can look into different fo- systems there as well. So, just it's important for us to, to understand and realize that there are structures that are in place that I believe are from the enemy that are designed to keep people in poverty, which would lead to our, our last form of poverty, which are causes of poverty, of demonic forces. Within that last, here I'll go back to this. Um, Picture here for just a second. So right up, um, it's actually right here. If you guys can see that, that is a small part of the Nutbush community. And in this area, right here, is the most diverse part of our city. That's where one of our partners, uh, Miracle of Redemption Baptist Church, is located. And according to the Census Bureau, on their diversity scale, it is eighty-six percent. It is an eighty-six percent likelihood that if you were to run into two random individuals on the street in that community, that they would be from two completely different ethnicities and very different races. In that community, there is such a stronghold of drug addiction, of prostitution, of gang activity, of poverty. It is our community and part of our city that could look the most like heaven. And there are some of the strongest holds of the enemy within our city there. We also have a believer, we have a pastor there who's committed to the gospel. But know that the enemy wants to keep people away from Jesus. And so if he can keep people poor, that's what he's going to do. He's going to take any means as possible. So that's one of our, our causes of poverty. Why is this relevant? I'm going to buzz through this a little bit quicker because I think that we need to, we need, but we need to ask the why do we need to understand um, a poverty worldview within our specific scenario? Well, these are some stats up here. Um, so we've got in the National, Tennessee, and Shelby County. These are all the percentages of individuals who are in poverty, so who, are, who are below the poverty line. In Shelby County, 17.9% of Memph- Memphians are in poverty with 24.1% of children. Ben, whenever Ben and I were talking about this uh, earlier, he was like, oh, well, well, Memphis is kind of down. Uh, we used to be like 27. I realize that's Shelby County and not Memphis. Memphis stats will be higher than Shelby County. And so that's, that's where we, we miss it a little bit. But then specifically for where, for where this class is talking about the crisis pregnancies, 20% of women within Shelby County fall within the, the poverty line. So that means one in five women within Shelby County are below the poverty line. So I would say it's very likely that if you are helping some, a woman, an uh, uh, expecting mother who's found themselves in a crisis pregnancy, there's a high likelihood that they're, they may find themselves in poverty. So it's important that we understand these things. And then this other stat here, this is an example. It says, uh, this is for uh, children who are under five who are in extreme poverty, poverty, and near poverty rates uh, in 2020. And you see that uh, that uh, blue block there is for living with a female head of house only. Near poverty is 55.3% uh, chance. Uh, poverty is 46.8%, and then 29.5% chance of being in, in extreme poverty. So it's very likely that for a child to be under five years old, if they are in a single uh, parent household where it is a female head of house, it's likely that they're gonna be near poverty, in poverty, or in extreme poverty. It's important that we understand this. Very, very important that we understand this. I've got a brief activity that I want us to do here at our tables. Um, I've got these sheets, and, and Jessica, if you can help pass them out here, um, I'll hit the other tables. These are just, um, this is a good activity here to help you understand the situation that a lot of people who find themselves in generational poverty experience. You guys can take the rest. So if you can fill that out at your table for just a second. And this is not a trick um, page either. I have done this activity with individuals who have come uh, out of generational poverty, and they have uh, significantly more check marks than I did. All right, for the sake of time, I am going to come back in here and uh, 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 bring us back in. There are, a part of this activity, there are two other pieces of paper that go through, uh, you know, can you, could you survive in middle class? Could you survive in, in wealth uh, as well? For the sake of time, we didn't bring those pages in here, um, but I would say that you would have significantly more check boxes on one of the three pages than the other. And this activity is here to show us that there are differences. There are differences in experiences. There are differences in ways of thinking. And I was able to to hand out on everyone's pages, or on everyone's table, this chart here. Uh, This is from uh, Ruby Payne's book. It is the hidden rules among classes. This is a very helpful tool, what I would say, is that this, these are patterns. These are not the rule, okay? So if you're working with someone uh, and ministering with someone who comes from generational poverty, do not use this as your trump card. Uh, please don't. And if you do, you did not get it from me because I don't endorse that. But this is helpful to help understand the different perspectives. I'll tell you, um, we'll just go into uh, the money section. Okay. For a pattern of someone who is in poverty, money is to be used or spent for someone who finds themselves in a middle-class background. It is to be managed and then wealth, it is to be conserved or invested. That is so true for many people. I mean, I grew up in a middle-class family and we were taught how to manage Money, you know, set a budget, Dave Ramsey style, you know, figure out where you're going to use your money for this, this is how much you're going to save, and then that was it. You didn't if if it was something that you shouldn't spend it on, then you don't spend it. Well, there are other people where as soon as if if you're in a, a place of material poverty, as soon as you get money, you spend it because you've got it in that moment and you don't know what will take it if you hold on to it for too long. Okay. And then another one that um, was pretty profound for me was the clothing one. If you go into certain parts of our city, um, there are some incredible shoes and some incredible hairstyles and some incredible, uh, awesome outfits of expression. I never would do that because I don't think any of that would look good on me. But clothing is often valued for individual style and for expression of personality. While others, it's, you know, valued for its quality or acceptance into the norm. The label is important. I remember growing up, Hollister was the big name brand uh, for, for me, which probably shows my age there a little bit um, as well. Um, but um, like that is what you looked at for what I wanted as, a, as a, I didn't care about the way that it expressed my personality. I wanted to fit in. For other kids who grow up in maybe generational poverty, it's more of that expression, that personality. So use this as like, look at it, take an idea. Like, uh, again, it is patterns. It is not the rule all the time. I want to go into our next few minutes uh, into specific differences because as you are um, interacting with individuals who are from uh, poverty backgrounds, This is oftentimes where if you're not from uh, that background where there's like confusion or scratching your head a little bit. So family structure, typically within uh, um, generational poverty, a family structure is very matriarchal. The woman is at the center of the family. So even if you're working with a, a young mom who's found herself pregnant, oftentimes there's a her mom, that's within it, or her auntie, or her grandmother, that's within the picture, that is the center of the family life and the family structure. That that mother, that woman, knows all the cousins, all of the the other family members. They're at the center. Um, common law marriages are common within those who find themselves in generational poverty because. There's really, like, there's not necessarily the value of a formal marriage, but then also to pay to get a divorce. Why would you sp- spend that money to get a divorce? It would make no sense. So, a lot of people who are in generational poverty find themselves in a common law marriage where they're not officially married, but they're living together. It's my woman, that's my man. Like, they're together and they're committed. It's complicated. Don't try to figure it out. If you're working with someone, just, go with the flow on it, okay? Because oftentimes there are relationships where you don't know how they're connected or why they're connected. That is my family too. I don't know how they're connected to me or why they're connected to me. So it's just uh, part of it. But a lot of times like it's complicated. So just if you're ministering to someone, just go with the flow uh, on it. Um, there's a high value on community, the, uh, a tribe mentality. You have to rely on your tribe to survive. That is Common, there's there was a, a little bit of a movement to down that side of society of a tribe or the value of community. But as believers, I mean, in Scripture we have brothers and sisters that we're supposed on that we're united together in Christ. So value that community mindset, that that tribe mentality of we're looking after one another and we're taking care of one another. Because I would argue that that's probably a little bit more biblical than what we, we probably think. Communication styles. We're going to talk about three specific um, voices here. There's a child voice, a parent voice, and an adult voice within most people. Okay, A child voice tends to be more defensive or victimized or kind of playful a little bit. Of if you're in a serious conversation, well, it's not my fault was well, they did this to me and all these different uh, things. There's also a parent voice that is more directive or you need to do this or you need to be quiet or whatever. Oftentimes, if children um, find themselves, if, if young children find themselves parenting other children, that is their natural default. Uh, they're telling their younger brother, y- their younger sister, or their younger cousin what to do, how to do, because they're taking care of them. What happens is that this third voice, the adult voice, is, this is the, the voice of uh, negotiation or the, the voice of reason. Oftentimes it's, okay, well, for example, for, is this the best way? Is this the, the right way to respond? Oftentimes it's trying to find a win-win for everyone or trying to, to come to a, a good resolution, especially within conflict and being able to reason a lot of times uh, are reasoned by, like, negotiation. A lot of times, for those who find themselves in a spot of, uh, of poverty where they've had to survive, where they've had to take care of those who have been around them or they have had to defend themselves, this adult voice may be a little bit underdeveloped. Also, one thing that is, and I touched on a little bit uh, earlier, uh, is if, in a if you are impoverished within your language and you don't have the vocabulary that is needed to communicate your emotions or how you're feeling or what you're thinking, um, typically that is found within those who are in material poor as well because you think about even like the schools that those who've grown up in generational poverty find themselves in. I mean, the English scores are lower, that people move to other better school systems for you know, a reason. Well, when you get into adulthood, that is actually a negative for you when you don't know how to communicate well. And so communication styles, that's just a, a brief touch on that as well. Um, so there, oftentimes what I see, especially in, I see it on a workday, on a, work uh, a Bellevue Loves Memphis workday, I have our crew of awesome, incredible Bellevue people, and they're going out and they're doing a cookout in an apartment complex, and it's incredible, it's awesome, and the Lord works in it. And I've got one group that's communicating one thing to a group that's found themselves in generational poverty, and they're not they're not on the same page. They're saying the same words, but the words have different meanings. Even the way that we communicate the gospel can be different because there are words that we use in our common daily church language that are bigger concepts that have never been introduced to individuals who may not have the education nor have the church background. And so we even have to change the way that we present the gospel, not change the message, but change the format that we do that in. So principles moving forward. I know that we're five minutes away from having to end. Oh, wait, trauma. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on trauma because you guys spend a lot of time on trauma. But those who experience material poverty are more likely to experience trauma within their lifetime. There are certain parts of our city where it is not uncommon for people to say, I have seen my friend, my brother, my sister shot. And that's just the reality of our city as well. Uh, It's a horrible reality of our city. But that, that trauma can contribute to a survival mentality where it can be harder to let people in to the things that you wanna talk about because that is vulnerable. That's vulnerability and that, if you're vulnerable, you won't survive. So that's part of the reality. People who are in poverty are more likely to experience trauma. Moving forward, here's what I would encourage us to do is we're ministering to individuals who come from generational poverty backgrounds If you don't first recognize your own poverty, you are not on an equal playing field with the neighbor that you're working with, that you're ministering to. So you need to first recognize your own poverty because we have all been impoverished before. There has been a time in our life when we have not had the resources. If it is only spiritual, you have been spiritually poor at some point in your life and you needed Jesus to bring you out of that spiritual poverty. And so here is what I would ask of you as my brothers and sisters here before me is that never view yourself above anyone that is materially poor because according to scripture you are just as destitute. Invest in relationships, okay? Don't try to make projects and try to fix people and try to get them to a place where All of a sudden they got a 401k that they're investing in like regularly. That'd be great. But invest in relationships, invest in the things that will last in eternity. And then also stick with it for the long haul. Okay. One of the best things, or one of the the most common things that I hear from our, our partners, from people who are within our city is that the consistency of, of a person in someone else's life shows how much you care. So if you're working with someone who is flaky, who is uh, all of a sudden cancels on you at the last minute because of whatever reason, you got to stick with it for the long haul because it's worth it. It's worth the investment. It's worth following Jesus and loving our neighbors like ourselves. We would want someone to stick with us even whenever we're, we're a mess sometimes. I want that. I, w- I would hate for someone to just give up on me every time I cancel on someone. Um, so that is our our principles of moving forward. And that's gonna be the end of our content. I know we only have a couple of minutes for, for questions. And Jessica, I don't know if there's a specific way that you wanna close out as well. Again, if you do have questions, I will refer back to, I am not an expert on this, okay? So that will be any answer that I give you. Uh, we'll be surrounded in that. <laughs> any questions? Or Ben, do you have anything that you'd like to add? Okay. Um, when Helping Hurts. Yeah, so uh, the, the, the premise of that book is uh, oftentimes we do things, especially uh, as we're, we're going. Uh, it was originally written for like short-term missions kind of mentality. But also there are things that we can do that we think that we're helping people out of poverty or we're helping them in like their, but we're actually hurting them a little bit more. So, for example, like bringing in a bunch of um, or doing like construction within another country whenever we could help like pay and, and encourage the economy there by paying the skilled workers in that country to build in the orphanage that teams would go and do. Or soup kitchens, like they're great, they're needed, that relief work is needed. But if that's the extent and there's only an enabling there, uh, but never try to help out of that situation, it could end up hurting people in the long run. So that's kind of the, the premise of that, that book in, an, in a nutshell. Um, I would say uh, that book is helpful. Um, another one, uh, Ruby, Payne, Ruby Payne has another book that's called "What Every Church Member Needs to Know About Poverty." It's a lot shorter. Um, not all of the things are applicable within that book uh, to our current scenario. Like just as far as like her perspective on like church and things like that. So not not every book you take it as a whole. Uh, but that one was very helpful for me, and it's a much lighter read as well. It's a blue cover rather than a red cover. And I, we may have a couple of copies of it, do we, Ben? Yeah, if you're interested in that, feel free to reach out. Do you have any other resources you would recommend, Ben? No, I think those two, are the ones those two.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And What was their last name? Uh, pain, P A Y N E. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about the transportation within Memphis uh, and if you have to rely on public transit here in Memphis, you're taking out about two or three hours of your day just to get from one place to another. Um, And that sets you back a whole, whole lot uh, if you're in an emergency situation, so.
0: Mm-hmm. because they don't understand why they do what they do. Reading
1: books like this and talking to people that, and just ask, when we talk about relationships, asking, so why did you make this decision?" Mm-hmm. Instead of judging them for the decision they made, try to understand why they did that. So we'll talk a little bit more about that next when we go into the situation piece. But that's why we Yeah. And I'm sure that if we were to ask the same question of ourselves of why why did I make that decision, we probably wouldn't have an immediate like quick response either. Uh, And so it's seeking to understand uh, for the sake of the gospel. Hey, let me close this out in prayer and then we'll head out. Um, Father, we thank you so much that uh, you are the God who you loved us even in our own poverty and even within our, our own rebellion. And Lord, I pray over this group in this room. Lord, use us as instruments in your hand to minister to those who find themselves in crisis situations and in hard spots where they don't know where to look. But Father, I pray that you will send one of your children to, to these people. Father, I pray that you will use someone in here to reach someone who is in generational poverty for Christ and then also disciple them and grow that relationship for, for your kingdom. So, Father, as we leave here today, we give you all the glory for all that you've done and help us um, by your spirit to minister to those who are in need. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.